0: In today's show, I'm joined by a guest who wants to sit here for the introduction, but we're also going to talk about the Donovan Mitchell deal going to the Utah Jazz. No, he's not. He's going from the Utah Jazz to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm all thrown off. Everything's a mess, but we're going to talk about it. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So about an hour or so ago, we had a trade go down the sneaky, sneaky Cavs sneak in and sneak their way into acquiring Donovan Mitchell after the Jazz and the Knicks could not come to a deal. Um, the Knicks were balking at giving Quentin Grimes. They wanted to replace him with Emmanuel Quickly, apparently. Um, all that fell apart, and the Jazz said, no, sorry, see you later. You're going to Cleveland instead. So there he goes, Donovan Mitchell off to Cleveland. And in exchange, we'll, we'll talk about what happened in that deal. But first of all, Knicks fans... What do you think about this? Is this a oh my god, the Knicks stuffed it up again? Is this a we didn't actually want Donovan Mitchell? Or is this, a, oh, no, let's let's build where we are. I don't think Donovan Mitchell made the Knicks a contender. I don't think the keeping of Quentin Grimes and Manuel Quickly makes the Knicks a contender. I think it's sort of relatively neutral for New York. I think going all in and giving you yeah, seven first-round picks for Mitchell would have been bad. So I guess in that respect, it's a solid enough move for them. I think it helps Cleveland more than it would have helped New York. It pushes Cleveland to a new level more than it would have pushed New York. So I think as a Knicks fan, you go, okay, there is a level of, of common sense here with the front office. I still don't agree with a lot of the things they do. But at least it's not a misevaluation of where they are in their timeline and trying to push in for the fifth seed at best. Which I think is probably where they would have ended up. So I think for the Knicks, um, it's actually not a bad result. For the Cavs, I think it's not bad either. And for the Jazz, I'm not sure it's the best deal for the... It's, uh, the, the three... The first round... Well, actually, let's let's talk about it now. In fact, Warnie. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about what the deal is. The Cavs get Donovan Mitchell. Alright, done. The Jazz get... Colin Sexton, and when I've been asked about Colin Sexton so many times, the assumption has always been he goes back to Cleveland. And As I said on this podcast, and I've written in many places, I think it's like a 50-50 or 60-40 chance that he goes to Cleveland because we've seen the Cleveland Cavaliers with these restricted free agents in the past. We saw how they acquired Larry Markin in the exact same situation. A restricted free agent that couldn't get an offer sheet, and they ended up trading for him. And that's exactly what happened here. So it was far from a fait accompli that Sexton would go back to Cleveland. He hasn't, in fact, gone. They've signed him to a four-year, $72 million deal and shipped him all the way out to Utah. So the Jazz get Colin Sexton. They get the aforementioned Larry Markkinen, who was the same story last season and was a weird fit. They get Ochai Agbaji, who I didn't love as a lottery pick, but, okay, he's fine. He's, like I think, 22 or 23 already. They get three first-round picks unprotected, and two first-round pick swaps. So that's obviously the big part of that is the the three first and the two pick swaps. We expect Cleveland with Garland, Mobley, Allen, Mitchell to be good, and I expect those picks to probably be in the 20s, at least the first couple of them. So they're not going to be particularly great assets. The Sexton asset is is nice. Like he is an is an okay player. Um, is it the greatest return for the for the Jazz? No, it's okay getting all those picks and there's value in that and who knows what happens with Cleveland. Injuries can happen. So having that sort of um, unprotected safety net, I guess, is useful. Having those other teams' picks is useful, but they're also maybe not going to be good. I think that's probably the likely scenario. So that's the deal. Donovan Mitchell traded to Cleveland for Colin Sexton, for Lowry Markkinen, for Ochai Agbaji. Three firsts, and two pick swaps. There are massive fantasy implications for this deal, pretty obviously. But it's going to be hard to break it all down. I'm going to attempt to do it here, of course. But we don't have the full picture with everything. I think for Cleveland, we do. Their roster is basically set, and we can get an idea of what's going to happen there. For the Jazz, yeah, their roster is very, very, very far from set. So I'm going to talk about them quite a bit in this show, but... We'll probably come back and do another show in a week's time or two weeks' time when other guys get dealt, like Mike Conley or Boyan Bogdanovich or Jordan Clarkson. They're the guys we're really looking at. J-O-R-D-A-N-C-L-A-R-K-S-O-N. Um, all right, so that's that's that deal. Okay, so who wins the deal? I don't actually care who wins the deal. Does it make the Cavs better? Absolutely, yes. Markkinen is, a, is an eh player. Sexton is an eh player. Mitchell's a very good player. It's a clear win. Agbaje, I didn't love him as a prospect for the future. So I think that Cleveland did really well here. Are there concerns with Mitchell and Garland together in the backcourt? Yes, for sure. Defensively, no problem. Offensively, I think it's going to be awesome. I think they're going to be an awesome offensive team. But they've got this awesome defense because they get Mobley and Allen behind them. So maybe it works. I think it's actually a really strong move for Cleveland. Um, Yeah, I think it's really good for them. For the Jazz, again, Sexton's okay. I think he's a great tank commander. He's going to get every opportunity to to score a lot, but does that actually lead to winning? No evidence to suggest so far that it does. It might, but it doesn't so far. Markinen is an eh player. Like, what is he? A non-defensive four who'll get to play the four now, who can score okay, but has never been an absolutely elite shooter through prolonged stretches. He was pretty good last season as a shooter, but he wasn't in Chicago Is he a guy you want to build around? I don't believe so. Defensively, it's rough. Sexton's terrible defensively. They're going to lead to a lot of losses for the Jazz, and that's what they want. So maybe, I think it's more of a win for Cleveland than it is for Utah. But overall, I think both sides, again, if you're a Cavs fan, if you're a Jazz fan, and you are watching this on YouTube, chime in. Are you happy with the return you got for Donovan Mitchell? Cavs. Are you happy with getting Mitchell in exchange for those players? If I, if, honestly, if I was a Cavs fan, I'd be bloody ecstatic. But a, a Cleveland had top four team now, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, Brooklyn, right? Yes, Brooklyn. That's five teams. Are the Cavs better than any of them? I, I could argue they might be better than Brooklyn. They might get better than Miami, especially with their lack of a four. I think that top six in the East, though, is unbelievably competitive then you've got teams like Chicago coming in behind them. I wouldn't put Chicago in that same group as I, I would those top six. So that top six feels like they're going to be all battling for that top four seed, top two seed, and it's going to be really, really rough. Cleveland could emerge as a top three team. They could end up better than Milwaukee. They could end up better than Brooklyn. They could end up better than Philly like and Miami pretty easily. It's going to be a real battle at the top. Utah again; it's they get worse significantly. They're going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, talk about the Jazz in a second. We'll get to the value of these guys in fantasy in a sec. But just an overall trade situation: big deal for Cleveland, good deal for Cleveland, so-so deal for Utah. But there's a lot still more to come here for Utah, I think, in this off season, guys. If you I've got to find where I'm reading from. Here we go. If you're one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is that your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Hmm. All right, so let's look at the impact here. Let's go to Cleveland first and have a look at the Donovan Mitchell trade impact on these guys. I think this one sort of settles. I believe, now I know there's going to be the Karis Levert truthers out there, but I believe that the Cavs will start Garland, Mitchell, Akoro, Mobley, and Allen. Karis Levert did not start for the Cavs last season. He's a guy that needs the ball in his hands and he needs usage. He's a subpar defender. He's a sub shooter. He doesn't make sense to me to start at the three. Mitchell and Garland are going to be your backcourt guys who get all the touches, all the passes, run all the pick and rolls, all that stuff. Mobley will get a little bit more usage over his first year, but not a huge bump. Allen provides defense. And I think you've got to have Isaac Okoro on the wing because if you have Levert out there, you're going to get cooked. You're going to get absolutely roasted on the perimeter. So I think that Isaac Okoro starts. Now I didn't know where Okoro would fit this season. It was going to be a little bit weird. I thought he might come off the bench or at least be pushed with Laverde and Sexton for minutes. But with Mitchell coming in, they lose two of those guys that were pushing Okoro and that's Markinen and Sexton. I think both those guys would have pushed Okoro this season. But those guys are out replaced by Mitchell. So I think this actually helps Okoro. Now Okuro is one of the worst fantasy players in the NBA. So it might make him go from 320th to 250th. In fact, where do I have him projected? It's going to be pretty shit house, I know that. 236th. So you don't worry about him in 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 team leagues. You don't worry about Isaac Okoro. But I do think it increases his value. I actually think it increases Dean Wade's value somewhat as well. Because Markkinen would have got some of those backup minutes behind Mobley and Allen at the four, and he's gone. And the only real guy there, Robert Lopez will get some minutes too, but the only other four on the roster is Dean Wade. So the minutes behind Mobley are going to be Dean Wade's. Like, unless you fully believe in Lamar Stevens as a four, not really. Chetty Osman, probably not as a four. Dylan Windler, probably not. Isaiah Mobley, probably not this year. I think it's going to be Dean Wade who moves from on the fringes of the rotation to in the rotation as the backup four. Not again, not that this matters much for fantasy. Dean Wade probably won't be a top 300 player but it does increase his value. But I think everyone else loses value. Darius Garland put up monster numbers last season. Down the stretch, he was playing like 38, 39 minutes a game. There was no Sexton. He was having sky-high usage, sky-high assist rates. There was no Rubio. He was putting up unbelievable numbers. Over the last 23 games, he averaged 38 minutes, 25 points, 9.4 assists with a 30 usage. I don't think there's any way that that happens. That made him a second-round player. I think that Darius Garland this season, he's still going to play, obviously. He's still going to play a lot, but I think he's going to lose quite a bit. I think he's going to lose quite a bit here because him and Mitchell are they are not 100% similar. Garland's a much more pure point guard, more of a passer, but I think that those 9.4 assists that he was averaging or 10 assists over the last 33 games, he's not going to have that opportunity because he ran everything. He set up everything for this team. And he's not going to set up everything for this team now. You're going to have situations where Mitchell is orchestrating. So the 8.60 he average for the season, probably closer to 8 I think, for Garland. I think it takes him more into a third-round player versus... There were some people who were commenting on some videos saying, I think Garland's going to be top 15. I think... Well, I never thought that was possible, but I know that that's not possible. No, I know. I expect that's not going to be possible now, but I think it takes Garland out of the second round and towards the back end of the third round is my guess. I think it also hurts Donovan Mitchell a little bit. Yeah, on that Jazz team, he was... We know Mike Conley was in and out of the lineup. Mitchell was by far the number one usage player. And he's going to be, I think, the number one usage player here in Cleveland. But he was, for the second half of last season, he was running at 32 33 usage. I think he's closer to 29 30 in Cleveland. The 27 points per game he averaged over the final 24 games probably pushes to 24 25. And he moves from a guy, he finished 22nd last season in Category League's Donovan Mitchell. But remember, a large part of how he was able to push from 42nd the year before to 22nd was he went from one steal to 1.5. Nothing to do with usage or anything like that. All right, so if those steals remain, then his value can stick. But I do think that he's going to lose some of the assists, the average over five a game. I think the 27 points, 26 points is going to drop and he's going to lose maybe, maybe rebounds, probably not. That doesn't impact too much. I just think that we see Mitchell move from a guy that was probably a second round player What is his actual ADP at the moment, Don? It's 22 on Yahoo with a rank of 20, and Garland's got a 28 ADP with a rank of 19. I think both guys become late third, mid mid third to late third, early fourth round players is where I've got them. Mitchell, before last season, had been in the 40s every season of his career. And last season, he took a jump up because he started averaging 26 a game, but also 1.5 steals. And if that goes to 24 a game with 1.2 steals, then he's back in the 40s. So I think these guys are third to fourth round players versus both of them being comfortable second round guys. I could be wrong on that, but I would not want to take those guys in round two just because I think they're going to cut into each other's usage rate, scoring, um, and assists. And there'll be people who want to counter this, but now that they're both there, Josh, they're going to get easier looks and their efficiency is going to go up. But my experience with that is it doesn't have that much of an impact in general. We think it's going to be the case. Logic would tell us it's going to be the case, but rarely does it. Some players are just inefficient because they're inefficient. It might impact them slightly, but I don't think it's going to make them 50% shooters because they're playing off each other. I think the bigger impact you're going to have is the drop in assist rate, the drop in usage, versus maybe a marginal in, uh, uptick in field goal percentage. You're also going to probably see a drop in free throws from both of those players. Because you've got to, to get free throws, you've got to have the ball. And I think they'll just reduce that somewhat. So I don't think that they're they're not guys I want to take in a second. After pick, say, 33, I would consider it. But to me, they're more, only 32, around that area. I think they're more probably 35 to 40 versus 20 to 28. What do you think? Where do you think that Mitchell and Garland sit? I also think it really hurts Karis LeVert because Karis LeVert is like Donovan Mitchell. He's like Darius Garland, but worse. He's a guy that needs the ball in his hands. He's a bad shooter, not a good guy from the line. Usually not a great three-point shooter, a poor defender, a poor defensive stats guy, a guy that can get assists, but he needs to be in a situation where he's the guy that's running things. And yes, he probably will run a lot of the second unit, but they'll also stagger Mitchell and Garland somewhat. And I just, to me, there's just no point in drafting Levert outside of a last round pick. Last season, Karras was 129th. I don't, think he's going to be a top 150 player this season. I don't hate taking him in the last round because there is upside in that. But I think he loses minutes, and especially when we talk about the fit of guys. I think when you've got a team that's got Garland and Mitchell, you've got Mobley and Allen, you need a fit guy at the three. And Levert's not it. To me, he's not the fit. The fit is Okoro. As much as I don't love him as a player and he's really bad offensively, to me, he's the fit. And even when, if Levert starts, he's just going to be pushed into a third-string role and you just don't want... Look, when you got the opportunity, you don't want the ball in his hands compared to Mitchell and Garland. You just don't. So I think it's going to lose him a ton of value for this season. Um, He's an, uh, an unrestricted free agent after this year, Levert. I wouldn't be shocked if they move him, to be honest, if they find someone else to, t- to take him on and get some other pieces that fit better. I think he loses value. I think Mobley and Allen lose value somewhat as well. Yes, Markkinen's gone, but they were never limiting Allen and Mobley's minutes because Markkinen was there. Markkinen was losing minutes. Um, the reason I think it loses a bit of value there is just a little bit of usage. We hope that Mobley would take a step forward offensively and he'd get a couple more shots. Well, with Mitchell coming in, I don't think he gets those couple more shots. And Allen, well, I didn't expect him to necessarily get more shots, he probably loses shots. So they just lose a little bit. And when you lose some usage, you're, you know, you're scoring drops, obviously. But the impact that you have as an Allen on a high field goal percentage, if you're shooting 70% on 10 attempts per game, for example, versus 70% on eight attempts per game, well, that 70% becomes less valuable on eight attempts per game. Even though it's the same number, the value of it decreases. So while maybe Allen goes from 70 to 71%, or he goes from 65 to 67%, or whatever, whatever the numbers are, right? If he increases that 2%, but he loses two shots, then I'm not sure it actually Im- improves him. Yeah, someone said they're going to average so many blocks because Garland and Mitchell are going to get blown by. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not sure that's going to be a big enough impact. And these guys are still going to be strong. I-, I think Mobley, we saw Mobley go early second, or sorry, late second round in the mock draft of the other day. That was insane to me at the time. It's even more insane now. I don't think that Evan Mobley is a guy that, look, he's got a Yahoo rank of 46. I don't think I'd take him in the top 50. I'd probably look fifth round, sixth round. Jarrett Allen's got an ADP of 51 on Yahoo, 44 rank. I think Allen's probably a early fifth round guy as well. I think they just lose a little bit. And maybe the presumed improvement from Mobley gets stifled a little bit by Mitchell joining. That, that would be my guess there. Rubio, we, we saw so much of Rubio before the ACL where he and... Garland was sharing the court and that was really boosting his value. Well, that's just not going to happen. Rubio's not going to be back to start the season. And when he does, he's going to be in a strictly backup role because Mitchell's going to be there. So while you could have said, "Oh, well, when Rubio comes back, I'll add him in. He's a great option. I think he loses a couple of minutes here. There's less rush to bring him back. And there just won't be as many opportunities where him and Garland share the court for as long as they did before his ACL last season. So I do think that Ravishing Rick um, loses uh, loses quite a bit of value, I think in this scenario but what doesn't lose value is bet online because it is obviously your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season find all of the latest football league developments Game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games. Games on today for college football. BetOnline is also your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Wonder how my boys, USC, are going to go to college football this season, or the Dolphins in the NFL. If you want to check it out, you can check it all out at Bet Online. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. Okay, we've looked at the Cavs side of things. Let's look at the Jazz side of things as much as we can. Because we sort of can't. Yes, we know that Donovan Mitchell is gone. That's great. We know that Larry Markin and Colin Sexton and Ochai Agbaji are there. That's great. We know Rudy Gobert is gone. We know that's great. But Mike Conley is still there. Boyan Bogdanovich is still there. Jordan Clarkson is still there. J-O-R-D-A-N-C-L-A-R-K-S-O-N. And all of these guys, it's very hard to project what happens if they're not there, because if they're not there, other people come in. What happens if they are there? Like, it's just really up in the air. As things stand at the moment, I expect that the Jazz would start Conley, Sexton, Bogdanovich, Markinen, and then maybe Vanderbilt at center. He's not really a center, though. Maybe it's Kessler. Maybe it's Azabuke. So it's hard. With the way the roster currently sits, it's a boost to Colin Sexton, pretty clearly. He's going to, I think, go back to some of the usage that he had as a member of the Cavs two years ago where he could be like a 24, 25 point per game scorer on high efficiency with not many other numbers. Although, he did improve his assist rate. So there is going to be value in Sexo. I think he's going to put up good numbers. I think he's going to be... Yahoo ranks 131. I think he's a top 100 player. Maybe like a top 80 guy. Maybe pushes to top 70. And it's very hard to find 20 point per game scorers once you get past round five. So if you wanted to take him in round six, I don't think there's any issue with that whatsoever. It boosts Markin, who goes from a guy that was playing maybe 30 minutes a night to 32 minutes a night. He gets more usage. He plays at the four, which is his natural position, which should help field goal percentage a little bit, rebounds a little bit, blocks a little bit. Not that you care about him for blocks. Now, I know that we're people going out here, well, the Jazz want to lose. So these guys are just not going to play. Someone said to me, I've got Markin in Dynasty. Do I drop him? Like, that to me is complete backwards thinking. If the Jazz want to lose, Markin and Sexton will play minutes because they're not particularly good at driving winning but they're not going to get these guys and just sit them down. Like just, they're not going to do that. Yes, they might. I don't think they're going to be good enough, by the way, to be in a situation where they're winning too many games and they have to start just egregiously resting and tanking. Guys. They're going to be trash and they're going to lose games regardless. And remember, even if finished with the worst record, shout out to the Rockets and the Pistons, you've got a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. You don't get it. You don't. The top four guys get 14%. You don't get it. So you're not being bad for Victor. You might not get a top four pick. You might not get a top three pick. Remember that part of it. Um, but it does boost Marketing, whose rank was 122. I think he's a clear top 100 player. His ADP is 122 as well. I think he's a guy, he's like a, a top 85 guy, I reckon, who's going to score quite a bit, rebound okay, good free throws. Him and Sexton become, you know, top 80, top 70, at worst, top 90 players, I believe. Big boost for them. But, and this is again based on how the roster sits at the moment. It's not good for Jared Vanderbilt because I expected Jared Vanderbilt will be the starting power forward for this team, and now I don't think he will be. I think he will be the starting. He could be the starting center. He's also like six foot eight, six foot nine. He's really a four. He's not really a five. But even if you think he is the starting five, that means now instead of being the starting power forward who would get twenty nine minutes without really anyone behind him. He's the starting center who has Walker Kessler, who's going to get some minutes. And Azabuke, who's probably going to get some minutes. So those guys, Azabuke, Kessler, and Vanderbilt, who we thought were going to be sharing the 96 minutes available at Power, Ford, and Center, they're probably more sharing like 110 minutes between some market and backup minutes and some center minutes. It's not the most ideal situation. Do I still like Vanderbilt as a later pick? Yeah, I, I do. I, I still really like him. He's Yahoo ranks 115, and, and that's totally fine. If you want to take him at 100, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, Walker Kessler I thought could be the starting center and play 26 minutes. Now I'm going, maybe it's 22, and he's off the bench. Maybe he starts, I don't know, but it just sort of squishes everyone up. And I like taking Kessler. Like, he's ranks at 220, which is ridiculous. But he's more of a guy I take at 110 or 120 versus maybe at 90 with this situation. Taylor Horton Tucker, people think this opens everything up for him. It does not. They had Mitchell in the lineup. Mitchell's gone, literally straight replaced for Sexton. And then they also bring in Agbaji and they bring in Markinen as well. So with the way... Now, get this clear. With the way things currently stand, it is worse for Horton Tucker. Significantly worse. But Conley, Bogdanovich, Clarkson, maybe Beasley. They could all move out, but it is going to take... Horton Tucker being in a situation where he is starting and playing 30 minutes a night where he becomes draftable. Now, as you know, if you are drafting now, you shouldn't be. But if you are drafting now, with your last round pick, you take flyers on guys. And you take that flyer on Horton Tucker with a round 12 or round 13 pick, and you see what happens. But if the Jazz roster stays as it's currently constructed, he will not be worth a 12-team league roster spot. He just won't be. But I don't expect their roster to stay this way. I don't know what's coming back. I don't know where he sits. But that is how I see see things going at the moment for Horton Tucker. As for the rest of these jazz guys, Conley, Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Beasley, I think at the moment it decreases their value because Mitchell's out and at least two rotation players are in. Markaden and Sexton. Maybe Agbaji as well. Um Agbaji's an interesting one. He goes from out of the rotation in Cleveland to probably out of the rotation in Utah. Again, there's Conley and Sexton, then there's Clarkson and Beasley, who are all ahead of him, but everything can open up. I don't like Akbaji as a fantasy guy, this season or long term, but there's still a lot of players in front of him to have an impact. Conley, Bogdanovich, Clarkson, they all, all lose a little bit as well, because again, it's two starters coming in, one going out, but there's just so much stuff that's still to be written. If I'm taking flyers on guys, it's the top three guys on this decrease list for the Jazz. Vanderbilt, Kessler, and Horton Tucker. Vanderbilt bar, yep, the upside's limited, but there's value. Kessler, limited, but value. And Horton Tucker, who knows? But it's going to require Conley Bogdanovich-Clarkson probably moving on. Beasley could be a guy, and I thought there might be an option for him. But I just think that no matter what happens with these other players, Beasley is going to play behind Sexton. And he's still going to be pretty limited. So he's probably just going to turn into like a 14 to 16 team league guy who can be a three-point streamer versus a guy that's going to regularly get 30 minutes and be valuable in that scenario. So that's how I see it all sitting for the... Like, I think it actually hurts. It. Jared Butler doesn't get bump in value. Alexander Walker, I don't know. Like, where does he fit now? Behind Sexton, sure. Like, if Clarkson and Conley go, does he steal? Does he even play? Maybe they go with... Because who knows who returns here? Is like Baji better than Alexander Walker at this point? I, I wouldn't be taking a flyer on Alexander Walker in standard leagues with the last pick. Um, Fontecchio probably still in the rotation, maybe. But that's only going to be a deeper league situation. We just don't know for Utah. Because there's three names absolutely sitting out there like dogs, balls that need to be dealt. Conley, Bogdanovich, and Clarkson. And again, in a trade, usually... There's something coming back. I don't think that all three of those guys go and no players return. Maybe they do, but I don't think they do. The Jazz are in a little bit of a roster squeeze at the moment. They've got two guys they need to cut to get under the... They've got 17 guys plus two two two-way guys. So at this point, I don't think Stanley Johnson or Leandro Balmaro will make the final roster, but maybe there is moves where it's Bogdanovich for a protected first. And no one comes back. Or Clarkson for two seconds. Or Conley for a protected... Or something. Maybe they do, maybe that's how they fix the roster. But at, at this point, there's still a lot of things to go under the bridge. But I just think the market addition hurts Kessler and Vanderbilt. Sexton hurts Beasley and Horton Tucker. But that can change with these other guys. I would still take Vando, Kessler and Taylan. Round 13 for Taylan. 10 or 11 for Vando and Kessler. And see what happens. But Markkanen should slot in as the starting four, which means that Vanderbilt can't be that. And we need him to play center, which he didn't really do. So, and then if he does, that means that hurts Kessler's upside. So that all is how that shakes out to me. Now, again, I'm just reacting to this an hour or so after it happened. And there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge. So I do want to hear what you guys think. You can either tweet it at me. You can drop it on my Instagram. Or you can put it on the comments of this video. We're going to have another show tomorrow. We're going to talk about year-to-year statistical correlation. So check that out. More mock drafts next week. Market Watch Monday coming as well. Really excited to talk about that. Big trade. Hopefully other dominoes start to fall really, really soon with the Jazz and any other deals that are being held up so we can really figure out what's going on in this NBA season. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app here on YouTube. You know what to do? Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.